the transition of a season affords us an opportunity to remind ourselves that dry seasons don't last forever. Yeah. The words of Isaiah 42 that Tom read earlier um, were spoken hundreds of years before those words came to fruition. Um, The prophet Isaiah, someone who hears from God and distributes that message to those who would be willing to listen, these words in Isaiah 42 talk about the baptism of the servant of of his son. And we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism in just a moment. Um, But to understand that words spoken by God through a prophet hundreds of years before the thing actually happened, what we can see there, what we can learn there, what we can believe there is that that you may be going through something now, and that's real. And it is the thing that you wake up with and go to bed with um, on your mind, but God has spoken, and he's spoken about his faithfulness, and he has spoken about his goodness, and he has spoken about his love, and, and he has spoken about how he will deliver people through things and seasons. And so as we go from Advent to Christmas tide to Epiphany, we can say that we might be able to enter into a new season ourselves as well. Um, God has spoken and he is speaking, and perhaps something new can begin for all of us today. And that is our hope as we enter into the season of Epiphany. Um, I mentioned Matthew chapter 3. If you're going to be using a Bible that is on the table that you're sitting at, that's going to be on page 1503, 1503, if you're going to be using one of those Bibles. Starting at verse 13 in Matthew chapter 3 is where we get um, the gospel of Matthew's account of the baptism of Jesus My sermon today, I don't generally share what the title of of a sermon is because I've learned as a preacher that generally preachers are the only people who care about what their sermons are titled. Um, Today's is fun, though. It's the baptism of Jesus, and there's a question mark at the end on purpose because I think um, if if we really do know the character of Jesus, the story of Jesus, the person of Jesus... And what we believe about baptism and the ritual of it in our lives, it's a very interesting thing to consider that Jesus himself was baptized. And so um, we're going to be talking about that today. Um, The words that that Tom read earlier, uh, Matthew 42 verse 1 says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. Now hear the words of Matthew chapter 3 and how those tie together. Starting at verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, 
I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You can see the, the, the tie-in there between Isaiah 42 talking about the servant who I'm uphold, the one I delight in, I'll put my spirit on him, and what we just read. Happening hundreds of years apart from when Isaiah's words were spoken by God through Isaiah and when this account took place of Jesus getting baptized. And so today, our question to consider is, why did Jesus get baptized? <laughs> and uh, I hope that as we investigate that question, um, I hope that something is revealed to us today, and, and who knows what it'll be. There's a couple of different places that we're going to jump around. Um, we're going to talk about how baptism was viewed then, how we often view baptism now, and see if we can make sense of why Jesus' baptism matters to us and the people of God as well. When we consider his baptism, how we view what is happening at the moment of water baptism matters. I, I want to put that up in front of us because that is going to help us answer the question, why did Jesus get baptized? It's important for us to remember what we believe is happening at the moment when either water is sprinkled or poured on someone's head or when someone is brought into a pool of water and brought up from that same pool, it's important for us to, um, to remember, to put in front of us, what we actually believe is happening in that moment in order to answer that question. If baptism is a ritual that is to take place after someone comes to a knowledge of salvation from God, disconnected from any type of meaning or symbolism, simply just, well, this is what we do now, then yes, Jesus' baptism is insanely confusing. Because what that says then is that Jesus needs to be saved. What that says is that the one who is fully God and fully man, but fully God, needs to be extended salvation and needs to receive that salvation. That can be difficult <laughs> to um, process. It would disable us from the ability to say that Jesus was fully God. God doesn't, this is slightly textbooky, but it's important for us to believe that God doesn't need to save himself. Um, someone who needs to be saved in and of themselves probably cannot extend a salvation that saves others, right? Um, now, of course, we have models like lifeguards, right? <laughs> and, and things like that. We're, we're talking about a whole completely different understanding of, of salvation here. Um, believing like we do, 
that Christ was fully God and fully human then, we have to look at water baptism a little bit differently. When I use the word ritual and when I use the phrase, this is what we do, this is the picture that I'm, I'm trying to draw here. It's synonymous with when you get into the car, you put your seatbelt on. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I'm talking about. Just this idea of, oh, you've come to, to the knowledge of salvation. Okay, this is what you do now. Okay, and then this is what you do, and then this is what you do. Synonymous with getting in the car and putting a seatbelt on. Synonymous with birthday cakes having candles. That's what I'm talking about. Just this, this disconnected, no symbolism, no meaning, just I'm in a car, seatbelt. There's a birthday cake, blow out candles. There's, there's nothing cognitive happening there unless I have missed an article about the first person to put an open flame on a birthday cake. And the, and the symbolism there, I think it's just kind of what we do, right? So baptism can be that, or it can be something else. And my contention is that it is something else. Something more profound, we believe, I believe, hopefully you believe, and we see, is happening at the moment of water baptism. Something more profound than just, this is what we do now is happening. I think Jesus knows that for sure, and I think John the Baptist knows that for sure, which is why John the Baptist gives his response. John the Baptist knows the deep meaning, something way more below the surface, pun intended, about baptism, about water baptism. Tom saw it. Tom got that. Thank you. Um, John the Baptist, based on his response of, you need to be baptizing me, not I baptizing you, he gets it. John the Baptist gets it. Jesus gets it too. And maybe others who were at, in, there in that moment saw it as well. So looking at baptism in this particular day and time, um, what I am have the chance to share this morning is stuff that I was learning myself over the last couple of weeks of preparation, and I'm still kind of figuring out this stuff, and maybe it's been obvious to you and, and better for you as you've uh, been learning more about God and the story of Jesus, but um, I'm very excited to share what um, some scholar pointed out to me through a book <laughs> this last week. Um, so here we go. In the day and time that Jesus was baptized, water baptism was seen as a deeply emotional ceremony with massive implications. Because of what was happening as far as um, certain governmental persecutions of religious folk, the water baptism was a public display against governing authorities in a certain way. Water baptism was someone saying in a, in a physical, tangible act, um, my salvation is not found in the governor, and my Lord is not the governor, the, the, the president, the whatever, Caesar, Herod. And that had implications to the governor. <laughs> they would see that, soldiers would see that, and um, there would be some problems there. It did one of two things. 
it either solidified a religious conversion from a faith to Judaism specifically. Baptism in this moment was a tool used to represent the the, the religious conversion from a religion to Judaism, or for the person who was not religious in any way, shape, or form, it was someone's definitive movement and repentance from one lifestyle to a radically different other lifestyle. Either way, baptism was seen as something for sinners. So catch that this morning. In this particular day and time, whether it was someone going from one religion to Judaism or someone who had no religion going from whatever their lifestyle was to a completely radically different looking lifestyle, baptism in this moment was seen for something for sinners, which in this day and time also meant not Jews because Jews were seen as the chosen and holy people, descendants of Abraham, and because of their geography and their family tree, Jews were seen as people who did not need salvation. Because Abraham was their great, 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 great whatever. And because their great, great, great whatever grew up here and was a part of the exodus from Egypt and, and the stories and generations of a mentality of people need to convert to us. Don't miss that. It wasn't necessarily what led the Jewish charge. It wasn't, that wasn't like their message as Jews was, you all need to convert to us. But that's what was happening below the surface. That was the, um, uh, just, what's the best term here? That was the unsaid thing, was that the, that the people of God are Jews, and if, and if you're not a Jew, then, then you need to convert to Judaism, and that's how you get connected to God. So Jesus was Jewish. That's that's the, that's the light bulb, that's the epiphany, that's the aha. Generation after generation after generation of water baptism <clears throat> only being used for people to enter into Judaism, meaning that Jews do not need to be baptized. We have the first Jew ever getting baptized. This is why John says, who's a Jew himself, if there's any Jew around here needing to get baptized, it should be me and not the Messiah. What's happening in the moment of Jesus' baptism with water is that for the first time ever, their sin and need for God is being revealed to the entire Jewish people. Up until this very moment in time, it was enough to be a descendant of Abraham. It was enough. Up until this very moment in time, it was enough to be a Jew, either grandfathered in because of your 
your family lineage, or if you had religiously converted to such a faith up until this time. Jesus, fully God, fully human, the fulfillment of the law in his baptism says, in a way, no longer do Gentiles need to become Jews, but Jews and Gentiles and every human on the planet need to become followers and worshipers of God. That was the transition that was happening in Jesus' baptism, is for him to communicate that we are no longer converting to a religion. We are converting to a person. We no longer need to convert to a religious system. We are converting to a God that is alive. That is what is happening at Jesus' baptism. However, there is a tension. At the same moment that the heavens open up and say, this is my son, Jesus is brought up from the water, thus solidifying his journey to the cross. At the same exact moment that God speaks down from heaven and says, yeah, that's the one. Jesus is now confirmed to be the one who in about three years' time is going to be turned over to crucifixion. So, why did Jesus get baptized? He didn't need saving. Jesus got baptized to show us a completely different pattern to live. Jesus gets baptized to show us a different way in which we are to approach the throne of God, not a way that circumvents any kind of action or behavior. Um, once again, we can approach the throne of God as historical Jews just by the very fact that we are Jewish. Now, Jesus sets a new pattern, the pattern of humble yourself down to a sinner's status. Once again, do not miss this. Water baptism in this moment in time was for sinners. For Jesus to get baptized in water means that there is a deep and profound act of humility that is taking place before the crowd. You can imagine the line um, one of the gospel accounts, I was able to, to preach this text a few years ago. One of the gospel accounts, and we'll get to it in the next two years, <laughs> um, of Jesus' baptism, we get this picture of soldier, prostitute, tax collector, Jesus. Soldier, tax collector, prostitute, in line, wading into the waters to see John the Baptist to get baptized. We never have a picture, we never have an image of Jesus being on the same level as the least of these. And, when, and I mean physical picture. I mean we don't ever put in front of us a painting, an icon, an actual physical image of leper, extortionist, 
unclean, the Messiah. And they're all there to receive the same thing. And they're all there acknowledging the same thing. And they're all there coming to an awareness of the same thing. Humble yourself down to a sinner status. Choose to go the way of the cross. Live your life as a ransom for many. That is why Jesus got baptized, is to show us a completely different pattern. The leveling of humanity's playing field is remarkably countercultural. Take a moment to consider the implications of if every single person was seen as equal by every other person on the planet. I'm not talking the United States, although I'm very much talking the United States, but I'm not just talking about the United States. I'm talking about a very real caste system in India. Very real. Very real caste system all over the planet. Imagine what the implicate. We can't even fathom what it would look like if every single human being on the planet Earth thought that every other single human being on the planet Earth was just as equal and valuable as them. You know how much harder it would be to kill someone? You know how much harder it would be to order the killing of someone? Do you know how much more difficult it would be to not extend love to someone? And to have to choose this or that, go here or there, believe this or that, say this or that, think this or that. It's so hard to even imagine a level human playing field when it comes to how we are seen in the eyes of God. People that are up here don't want to go down there. If I'm up here, I earned it, right? If I'm up here, that it was, in, it was given to me through inheritance. If I'm up here, I deserve to be up here. I shouldn't have to go down there. And here's what's happening with the people down here is that they don't feel like they deserve to be up here. It is a pride and shame complex on that coin. One side is, why should I have to be down there? And the other side is, how on earth do I deserve to be up here? That's why it is good news for the poor that, that God would come in the form of flesh and show us a new way. That is why it is good news for the prostitute and for the one caught in adultery and for the just rotten, rotten, rotten person is because the playing field really, really, really is leveled. And, and so instead of there being some culture of you need to become this group now or you need to go from here to here and you need to... Jesus strips away any kind of a red tape mentality and Jesus says, you're all just here with me now. That's what's happening. So, um, so 
really good news and really unsettling news too. But let's focus on the good news and let God unsettle us if that's, if that's what would need to happen. Um, the good news is that we no longer have to fit into a system that is being crafted by a person, by a human, by humanity. That the way to the throne, the way to the kingdom, the way to Jesus, the way to God, you no longer have to journey through um, an acquisition of possessions. You no longer have to journey through a, uh, a, a systemic maze that has been propped up by legislation and um, just corrupt authorities and just generation after generation after generation of mismanagement of freedom and just selfish decisions that have been made by people we'll never even know the names of that have resulted in certain qualities of life all over the planet. Because if the only way to God is through a system that by its very nature is corrupted, then there's no way for so many people to get to God. You see that? The good news is that everything's different now. The good news is that if the person that we are considering has tried and tried and tried to navigate and operate through the system that was placed in front of that person and failed because of lack of whatever the system requires, Jesus takes the system and simply removes it out of the way. The barrier that was once there is now gone. Here's a very real and practical example. In the time of Christ, in order for someone, uh, one of the many components of being a devout follower of Yahweh, of God, was to be able to submit a sacrifice, an animal, like some kind of an animal. And so people would flock to temples and sacrifice animals. If you can't even afford an animal, then you can't bring an animal to sacrifice. And if you can't sacrifice, then you're not seen as a holy, devoted follower of Yahweh. You see, just easy connection right there. By nature, the system itself was corrupt because the only people that were allowed into that particular system needed to be able to afford an animal that was of a certain condition um, in order to be sacrificed. That's just one example. But, but look at all of the different examples of systems and how by their very nature, um, they, are, they are hindering people from growing. Earlier, I was talking with uh, Chris Kohler, uh, sound engineer extraordinaire. He's the one who graciously doesn't mute me all the time. <laughs> him and I were <laughs> him and I were talking earlier about housing, 
just the nature of housing. Maybe you've heard of redlining. That's what we were talking about earlier. Um, just, some, just some whack systems out there. All over the map. I'm talking religious and otherwise. Jesus takes all of those systems that were barriers and he wipes them away. That's the good news. And there's a little bit of bad news. And the bad news is if, if the person, if, if someone else that we're trying to consider has been using systems in order to keep other people at a distance, or if someone, um, someone else has been relying on their ability to maintain a system, then that system is now worthless. We see an example of that with the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler was caught in a system where possessions and not murdering someone, <laughs> which is uh, hopefully that someone can maintain not murdering someone, right? Like, that, that's the story of the rich young ruler is, Jesus, I just want to double check with you that the system that I am so able to beautifully navigate of not murdering someone and having a ton of money because my daddy's rich, um, I just want to be sure that that is still holding up. And when Jesus says, no, that's bad news for the person who is unwilling to make a change. It's bad news for the person who is unwilling to repent. You know how frustrating that it is going to be for the Christian of tomorrow, I use that tongue-in-cheek, you know, of the future, if we are still convinced that we are better than others. You know how hard it is going to be to read Jesus for the Christian of tomorrow? If we are so convinced that we are more deserving of love than any other person, a movie that I saw yesterday, I should not have left the house last night, but I did. Um, this new movie out called Just Mercy. It, it's a true story about um, a, a fella named Brian Stevenson, who was a lawyer, is a lawyer, um, founded the Equal Justice Initiative in the Deep South, offering free... Um, legal services to people on death row in Alabama in the late 80s, early 90s. And if you think that Alabama got all cleaned up in the late 80s instead of the 50s and 60s, you are wrong. And this movie, Just Mercy, is such an incredible piece of visual and audio art of what it looks like to value another human being despite the countless differences that exist between one person to another. And it is a very regretful display of how easy it is for some people to, because of certain differences, keep people at a distance and make certain decisions about their life. Um, I will recommend that movie because it's very good. Um, so with all of that being said, Let's, let's take a moment to, to turn things over to the discussion at the tables. Um, we ask the same three questions every week when, when we do have a moment to discuss. Um, those are on your table. 
um, essentially is what are you hearing? What are you going to do about what you're hearing? And how can we help you? And um, I, I would really encourage, th the first question is obviously where that all begins. You, you notice the progression there of, of, of questions. Um, it could just be something you never had heard before, never considered before. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't always need to be like, I believe so profoundly that God has like, just said something audibly to me. It doesn't need to be that all the time. Because sometimes a new revelation of, in Scripture can open up a million different things that we've never considered. And so that is you hearing something. That is God speaking to you. So when we ask the questions, where are you at, where are you headed, and, and when we say don't go it alone, that's what we mean by those questions. So um, let's take the next seven minutes or so, seven to ten minutes or so. Um, take turns going around the table. What are you hearing? And... Um, and maybe through your discussion, you'll identify something that you're going to do regarding what you've heard. Um, it doesn't need to be some big, profound thing necessarily, because sometimes the most profound things are the smallest of shifts. So, so take, take the pressure off of yourself. Allow me to take the pressure off of you to have to say, I just heard a word from the Lord, and I'm going to do this big, catastrophic, monumental thing. It doesn't have to be that all the time. Um, but hopefully we grow as a result of our discussion. And then we will respond um, ourselves. So I'll turn things over to you, and uh, we'll go from there. See you in a minute.